focus by when Jesus came back after being in the desert. It's, it's hard to know. And like, what, what was it that he knew or didn't know? Did he know that Jesus had died for our sins? Did he know that he rose from the dead? Did he know that the curtain had torn in two, that he'd appeared to a bunch of people, that he'd ascended to heaven, that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the disciples in the upper room? Did he know that the Spirit was being poured out on all people, as was described in Micah many, many moons ago? No one really knows. (laughs) Commentators really disagree. They do that a lot. Um, But one argument I thought for this, which was quite good, was that it specifically says baptism of John. It wasn't ministry of John. So maybe it's sort of a a play on words, and it's like he knew the baptism of water, but not the baptism of the Spirit. And that I I kind of, I can go with that. That makes a certain amount of sense, because, you know, wordplay is fun. Um, Either way, Apollos was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So after his talks with Priscilla and Aquila, he ends up going, becoming this like apologetic super guy, like arguing for the faith and the fighting for stuff, which is really cool, and was just generally cool. So what I think was interesting with this, though, is it said he was proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So the scriptures back then would have pretty much been just the Old Testament. So I wonder whether it was not just baptism in the spirit that he didn't know about, but maybe Priscilla and Aquila had like a similar moment to what Jesus had with his disciples on the road, sort of going through all of scripture and going, there he is, there he is, there he is, there he is, there, oh, there I am, there he is, there, you know, doing that and just pointing everything in the scripture to Jesus, because he was familiar with the scripture, because he was well smart in it, but he was then, like, he was shown how all of that pointed to Jesus, I think, Um, and yeah, probably likely was introduced to being baptized in the spirit, I would imagine. So, that is where Priscilla and Aquila's story ends in Acts, but like I say, they get some shout-outs in other letters that Paul wrote, which is quite cool. So in Romans 16, verse 3, it says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus, which is cool. Because uh, it's nice because it's kind of like Paul just saying hi to his friends, um, but also it's my co-workers. And again, it's not uh, to Aquila, my co-worker, and his wife, it's my co-workers, they were both important to Paul. They were both valued. They were both loved. And they were both in positions of influence and authority. So I really like that. Um, then there's 1 Corinthians 16:19, where it says, The church is here in the province of Asia. Send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla, and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. So it's Priscilla and Aquila's house, which the church in Ephesus met in for quite some time. And... You know, there's a good argument here for house church, I guess. But they were being hospitable again. You can see that hospitality coming through and just their heart for serving the church and loving people, which is really, really cool. Uh, But you may be wondering, this is great. It's really lovely, but so what? (laughs) What has any of this got to do with any of us? What has anything got to do with, like, how is this applicable to today in any way? It's a really lovely story. They seem like really nice people, and I'd love to travel back in time and have dinner with them or have dinner with them in heaven either way. But why, why, why should we care? I want to come back to this thing of they were exiles. And you may be thinking, great, I'm not an exile. But actually, humanity in the very start of the story was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And uh, Tim Keller describes uh, it as sort of humanity has this longing for home that's sort of inbuilt within us. 
because of that XR originally. And what I found really <laughs> interesting and challenging last week was, uh, many of you know, Heather had COVID and was ill. And what we did, because uh, Heather's parents were staying with us and Heather's mum particularly we needed to protect, we basically banished Heather to the third bedroom. She was exiled to that room. And it was really horrible sort of standing in the hallway, like seeing Heather in, in the other room, not being able to go close, knowing that she was really not enjoying this experience because she wasn't able to hang out with her mum and finding the whole thing horrible and there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't go near her, I couldn't make it right. And actually that made me, for the first time ever, I think, appreciate God's position in exiling humanity. Because it wasn't that God stopped loving Adam and Eve and were like, um, I've had enough of you, bye. It was that it was similar to Heather. I still loved Heather. I still wanted to be near Heather and spend time with Heather. But Heather was carrying something ugly and disgusting and dangerous. <laughs> My wife is beautiful and wonderful, but you know, <laughs> but you know, but COVID is this horrible, ugly, <laughs> devastating disease that I wanted nothing to do with. And it was like that with God and sin. He loved Adam and Eve, but that sin was horrible and disgusting. He wanted nothing, to, couldn't have anything to do with it, so he needed to kick them out. And so I kind of, in last week, appreciated God's heartbreak in actually having to say to Adam and Eve, you've got to go, um, which I'd never really appreciated before. Um, but thanks. Yeah, your, your pain was great for my preach. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but the good news is Jesus dealt with that. Yay! You know, the horrible ugliness and dangerousness of sin was dealt with at the cross. It was no more. And you know, that sin that separated, from us, separated us from God was dealt with. And we actually sung about it earlier, which was really great. But it's like, in my father's house, there's a place for me. We are no longer exiles. We were exiles, but actually we are no more. Because of what Jesus did, click, you have a home. Yes, good hallelujahing. Um, yes, so that, you know, that is, can I get a woo-woop? Oh, man. <laughs> that was a really half, what was it, the spring harvest, the, uh, it's like golf, cricket clap, yeah. Yeah, maybe me, me chuckle. Um, but yeah, this is good news. We are no longer exiles, and uh, God has prepared a place for us. I uh, don't know if any of you uh, watch this at any point, but MTV used to do this thing called MTV Cribs. Anyone watch that? Yeah, it's quite fun. And you look at all these houses that were like super duper fancy and amazing and cost a million quid. And our place in heaven is going to make that look like a tent made of newspaper covered in mud. You know, it's going to be amazing the place that Jesus is preparing for us. And it's just awesome to know that we are no longer exiles. We have a home. But we're not home yet. So there's sort of that now and not yet tension that we often have. Uh, we're still living in fragile bodies on a fallen earth. Uh, but we're no longer exiles. And it's a shame Grayman isn't here because I'm going to use his favorite word. Because um, we're no longer exiles, but instead we are ambassadors. Um, we're representatives of God's kingdom here on earth. And Priscilla and Aquila, they left Italy as exiles, but they went to Ephesus as ambassadors. And I'm not quite sure at which point in the story they actually came to a knowledge of understanding who Jesus is, but maybe it was in Corinth, I don't know, but it seems to be that they uh, sort of knew who Jesus was certainly before Paul met them and went, hey, tense. Um, but 
you know, it's, it's cool, isn't it? It's, it's, our, our physical location hasn't changed, but our identity has. We're no longer people without a home. We're ambassadors of a better place, and we've got a home that we will be going to eventually. And uh, I think Priscilla and Aquila were just brilliant ambassadors. They cared for people. They opened their home. They showed kindness. Uh, they were really wise in the way they explained things to Apollos. Um, and I just know that uh, when they get to heaven, or well, they're in there now because that's how time works, um, you know, they would have got that well done, good and faithful servants because they just were brilliant. I don't know about you, but I want that too. I want to get to heaven and you just go, you did great ambassadorial work, well done. And think that would be really cool. And one of the things I was thinking about was, and I've said this before, is that as individuals we're ambassadors, but actually we've got a massive building as well, which is going to become like this embassy. It's going to be this place where the rule and reign of heaven is known. Well, let's pray that's the case. <laughs> um, you know, it's going to be a place full of ambassadors, the headquarters of the kingdom here in Redvelin. And I think that's really exciting. And uh, yeah, I could end here and we'd end up on, on, on this real sort of warm, fuzzy feeling stuff. But I thought I'd uh, go a bit further and uh, sort of give us a bit of a challenge. So there's one more shout out for Priscilla and Aquila, which is... Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of one Cyphorus, which is not a dinosaur. Um, but yeah, so the, you may look at that and go, where's the challenge in that? So the challenge in that is time. So this uh, is to Paul writing to Timothy in Ephesus, who's heading up that church, and Priscilla and Aquila are still there. And this is about, if I've done the maths right, 12-ish years later. They are still there. They're still serving the church in Ephesus. They're still going for it, still going. And there's a quote which I really like, which has sort of lived with me a lot recently, which is, history is made by those who show up. And that's kind of the case for the church too. The church is built by those who show up and keep showing up, those who keep serving, keep showing hospitality, keep being kind, people who continue being great representatives of God's kingdom here on earth. They had this endurance and they just kept going. And I get a bit, so this is like John goes gripe, uh, John's complaint moment. But what, one of the things that concerns me at the moment is this sort of consumer Christianity. This sort of, we got used to everything being so instant. And uh, if I don't like this, I'll just try something else. That you don't get people who stick things out quite as much. People are always looking for the next big thing. Um, and one of the things that every time I hear someone prophetic stand up and say, behold, I am doing a new thing. Um, every time someone says that, I cringe, <laughs> because uh, the new thing that they are quoting from in Isaiah there was Jesus. That was 2,000 years ago. It's not a new thing. It's an old thing. <laughs> it's, a new th it's an old thing that happened 2,000 years ago. And this whole idea of there's, this, or there's always this new cool thing to, to, to go and find, actually, Christianity is largely the same as it's been for the last 2,000 years. And we've got these great plans for the building. And you can look at that and go, like, all oh, this great new stuff. But actually, it's not new at all. It's seeking the lost. It's feeding the hungry. It's giving people hope, telling people about Jesus, discipling people. None of that's new. The, the, the means has changed, absolutely. But the motive and the mission is the same as it's been for the last 2,000 years. There is, it's not new. It's 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always loved people, always will love people, and always has a heart for people. And, you know, that's not really changed. Uh, so I try to come up, and that's a clever pun that you'll see in a minute, with an illustration of something for, to explain this a little bit better. So you get a few types of Christians that I find at the moment. Firstly, you get dunks. <laughs> Like Christians who are like, oh, it's the new shiny thing, and just, you know, chasing after squirrels and going after the next big shiny thing that they see. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's yeah, it's just not great. So, you know, people with almost like the spiritual equivalent of ADHD is the only way I can sort of describe it. It's people who can't stay connected. They're always looking for the next big thing. The grass is always green, always moving on to the next big thing and sort of going to the shiniest thing. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons the church in the UK probably hasn't grown very much in the last hundred years. It's because it's hard to quantify things that don't stay still. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, person number one. Person number two is that guy whose name I didn't know until I looked it up, but it's Carl, apparently. I don't think that actually comes up much in, in the film. Does it? Okay, fair enough. Uh, but Carl has, at the start of this film, this adventure book of places that he wants to go and visit with his wife and go and see and go and do. And it is horrifically sad. Um, but he ends up being old and angry and complainy because he looks at this book and it's not full of the places that he wanted to go, not full of the places he wanted to see. And often, um, I can find that some people are almost like him and they'll be waiting for the thing that is to come, so much so they forget to live in the now. There's a whole thing of life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And this film was sort of, uh, I think, born out of that. But I know for me, uh, when I was younger, I had prophetic words over me about things that I would do in the future. And this is my experience, certainly. I didn't always find those helpful. <laughs> uh, because some of them were like, oh, you're going to do amazing things for God. Um, and you're going to do this and that. Great. You know, but it was sort of fluffy enough to be really vague and unhelpful. Um, but I had like, this whole thing of, I'm going to do great things. And I think Joseph probably had this a bit as well with the dream that he was given. And sort of like, things will be amazing. So while he was in prison and while he was doing other stuff, holding on to that and believing that to be true must have been really difficult. And like, but God said this. And uh, even, uh, it's just a real deep cut, but John Connor in the Terminator films, you know, knows that he's going to be the guy who grows up to help humanity, but is currently, you know, having to steal things from a shop to keep going and that kind of stuff. It's sometimes stuff that you know is coming isn't actually a blessing. It can actually be, feel really heavy and it can actually prevent you from living in the present. So I would say uh, sometimes prophetic words can actually be debilitating in that you sort of go, oh, that's too much pressure. I, what do I even do with that? Or become lazy because you'll go, well, this thing's going to happen. I'm just going to sit back and relax until it happens. So by the end of the film, he looks at the book and looks through it, and the, his wife's actually put in pictures of uh, like their life together. And suddenly he's like, oh, wow, I was on the adventure all along, and it's heartbreaking to watch and really sad. But just think that all those years that he missed, sort of being miserable and regretting what could have been or wasn't when he could have just been enjoying the adventure he was on with his wife. It's just quite sad. So I just encourage you to sort of, you know, realize, especially with the building and everything we've got going on as a church, we're in the adventure. It's happening. Try not, yeah, God may have things in store for you in the future. They may be awesome. They may be epic and brilliant. Hooray, but don't miss out on the now. Um, then thirdly, there's that guy 
Russell, who is an ambassador of Wilderness Explorers. He's equipped with everything he needs to be effective. He's trying to be a blessing to his neighbor by helping him across the road. He is enjoying the adventure he is on. That's more like what we need to be like, isn't it? A big, smiling, beaming kid going, woohoo, adventure! And I'm not like the church needs people like Paul, people who are going out, breaking boundaries, like going into new territories and proclaiming the gospel. Absolutely, we need that. But I think a lot of the church has forgot that we also need Priscilla and Aquilas, people who are willing to put in the hard work for years and years and years and keep going and not give up. So I just wanted to say to you, really, those of you who have been a part of this church from the very beginning, um, which I think is pretty much the Thomases, Andy and Stacy, and the Dens maybe, who you know came from Rabina, who have stuck it out. Thank you. Oh, I've actually got her. There we go. Oh, there we go. You know, you guys have, like, you've not given up on us. It's not been, at times, the easiest journey, but you're still here, and thank you. Um, and for the rest of us who, you know, joined somewhere along the, the road, like, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep running the race. Let's keep fanning into flame the gifts God gives us. Let's continue to be awesome ambassadors and just keep going, and let's be excited about the adventure we're on, not focused about the adventures to come or distracted by all the shiny things or all the newfangled Christian things that sometimes are just frankly a bit weird. Um, yeah, that's it. So uh, that's why I think we can learn from Priscilla and Aquila. I just think they're awesome. I would love to hang out with those guys. I think they're brilliant. But I'm going to pray for us and then we'll go back into some worship if that's cool. Cool. Uh, so Father, thank you uh, that Jesus died on the cross. Thank you that we are no longer exiles, but there's a room that you've prepared for us, that we have a home, and that although we're not in that home, we are now ambassadors of your kingdom here on earth. I pray that the building would become an embassy, that it would be a place where people know the normal rules of the world necessarily don't apply. This is a place where the rule and the reign of the king of the universe is. And I pray, Father, that you would meet with us as we continue to worship you, that we would be excited that you would stir within our spirits just joy and excitement about all that you have in store for us now. Amen.